Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Glad to see you guys this morning, and for those of you that have tuned in online, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you being with us. Um, I don't know about you, but I have been thoroughly enjoying this series that we've kicked off the new year with. I think Doug has done just an incredible job um, just reminding us of the potential that we have uh, through the Holy Spirit and because of him being in our lives. Doug kicked off the, the beginning of this, the series with this unfathomable truth that God, uh, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. And I think the majority of us as believers would, would acknowledge that, would say, yeah, I understand that, that God dwells in me, but I think we kind of don't grasp the full depth of that. The reality is, is that, that God in full measure lives within me. And that's just, to me, that is an unfathomable thing. And, and when I think about it, it really means that my excuses don't hold any weight. When I, when I am led to do something, when God leads me to do something, and those, those natural responses within me that say, well, I, I can't do that. Oh, I just, I'm not capable of doing that. Those excuses come up, and, then, and when you think, well, no, if God in full measure dwells in me, what could possibly hold me back? What could possibly stand against me? And I just think it's this thing that as believers, and, and it's just been a challenge to me, right from the beginning of this series, to think, man, there's, I've, just, I've missed out so much on what I could have done for God because I, I look at myself. And Satan's been really trying to trick us with self-sufficiency right from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, he took Adam and Eve and he tempted them and he said, he said, what you need to do is you need to break free from God. You need to be self-sufficient. You need to be your own God. And when we did that, of course, we, we, we entered into sin and a life separated from him and realized our total inability to do anything of value and to, and to be in a relationship with him. And then once that relationship with God is restored and we're, we're, we're seeking to do things, Satan comes alongside of us again and he says, you know what? You look at yourself. You're a hot mess. How could you ever do anything for God? And so he, he t- plays both sides of the self-sufficiency thing. One, he says, you need to break away from him. But then when we return to him, he says, look at yourself. You're, you're, you just could never, never do that. You could never accomplish that. And we need to understand that, that our dependency needs to be on God. Our dependency needs to be on the Holy Spirit. And when we depend on him, really nothing can get in our way. The second week, uh, Doug uh, spoke on the fact that our past does not define us. We are unfettered from our past. And again, we just think of that, and he used the example of, of Saul ravaging the church and then placing his faith and trust in Christ, receiving a new name and going from hating Christianity, hating, hating God and hating Jesus to, to loving the church and to becoming one of the most influential people in all of history in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, Satan wants us to think that our past defines us. 
But yet scripture says in John chapter one, uh, verses 12 through 13, says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, folks, our, our pasts don't define us. What defines us, according to this verse and, another, and many other passages of Scripture, is not our past, but it's our relationship with God. The fact that we have been separated from Him, but now, through faith in Jesus, we are welcomed and are not, uh, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price, and we are children of the Heavenly Father. And today, uh, we are going to look at the fact that the Holy Spirit gives us the potential to live an uninhibited life. If you ever look up the word uh, uninhibited online, just do a quick Google search. Um, You'd come across this one in just Google's Oxford languages. It says this, expressing one's feelings or thoughts unselfconsciously and without restraint. The Collins English Dictionary states this, if you describe a person or their behavior as uninhibited, you mean that they express their opinions and feelings openly and behave as they want to without worrying about what other people think. Wouldn't that be a cool way to live as we think about being an ambassador for Jesus Christ, as we think about the fact that we are called to be witnesses for Jesus? And today, we're gonna talk about the fact that if we depend on the Holy Spirit, we can be uninhibited. And admittedly, when we talk about sharing the gospel, um, there's a lot of fear that comes in along with that. So many times, we think, I know what I should do, but I'm just not sure how it's gonna go, so instead of going for it and trusting the Holy Spirit, we hold back. I wanna share you uh, an example from my own life in in this area where I let my inhibitions win. And again, I'm I'm not sharing this, um, you know, I just wanna share it because I want you to understand that it is a common struggle for all of us. I'm not up here today preaching saying, oh, you need to be uninhibited, look at me. In fact, I want you to understand that I need this message just as much, if not more, than, than all of you. Man and I uh, were married in 1999, and in that summer, we got to work at a place called Cape and Rage Adventures, um, just along the Funday Coast, um, rappelling, rock climbing, a uh, little tea room, all of these things. Great place to work, really, really great place. And then during that time, we got to know a lot of different people. People would come in, tourists would come in and, and do the adventures or eat in the tea room, and, but we also got to, got to know a number of locals. And there was this one guy, uh, his name was Lois. And Lois would come every year to repel on his birthday. And Lois wasn't in his 20s, he wasn't in his 30s, he was in his late 80s, early 90s. And he came every year to, to repel the 130-foot cliff, um, just to say I think he could do it. And so we got to know Lois, and uh, he lived on the road out to the Cape, and, and we drove by his place every day, and, and we got to know him. And uh, one day he invited us over for supper, and so we went over to his place, and had a great supper, had a great meal, and, and during the meal even talked about things of, of faith. And uh, just as I was talking to him, like I, I recognized that he believed in, in God, but just really didn't get that strong sense that he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the meal continued on, it came to the end, and man and I are getting ready to leave, and, and standing there in his little porch, I felt the Holy Spirit just, just pushing me. Just talk to him a little bit more. Talk to him a little bit more. Bring up faith in Jesus Christ. And I was having this wrestling match with the Holy Spirit, and, and unfortunately that day I won the match, and I didn't say anything. 
I wasn't sure what to say. I'd already brought it up. I didn't know. And I could come up with many, many different excuses as to why I didn't do it. But I, I didn't do it. I let my inhibitions that day win. Unfortunately, um, I never got to see Lois again. He passed away before, before I had another opportunity to talk with him. And you know, that, that has sat with me um, for the rest of my life, knowing that I let my inhibitions win the day. Instead of being uninhibited, instead of just trusting that if the Holy Spirit was leading me, that he would do something amazing, I looked at myself and I said, I just don't think so. I just don't know how to bring this up. I don't know what to say. Instead of just trusting the Holy Spirit and just saying, I'm just going to go for this because if the Holy Spirit's leading, he's going to give me the, the words to say and the way to do it. So today, as we think about living in an uninhibited way, we have to understand that as we think of sharing our faith, it is a huge matter of trust. It's a huge matter of saying, yeah, I'm not really great at it. I'm not maybe uh, the most eloquent. I don't have all of the answers. But if the Holy Spirit is leading me to do it, <laughs> if I rely on him, I will be able to do what the Holy Spirit's asked me to do. And so today, we're going to look at a man. We're going to look at a man named Philip, and we're going to see how he lived this uninhibited life. We're going to see how he just shared his faith wherever he went. So let's pray together, and then we'll look into the scriptures. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I just want to thank you for the fact that, that you love us, that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Father, I just want to thank you also that uh, you have given us this uh, responsibility of being uninhibited, of sharing our faith with those that we come in contact with. And Father, I just want to pray that today as we look through our scripture passage and we see the application to ourselves, that we would really know and understand that if you have asked us to do it, if you are leading us into this, it will go exactly how you intend it to go. And so, Father, I just pray that we would grow in our faith and our trust in you this day and just thank you in your name. Amen. So if you go to Acts chapter 8, uh, we're just going to spend most of our morning in there, going to pop around a little bit from, from time to time, but Acts chapter 8, and it says this, a beginning in verse um, 4, it says this, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the, in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. As we're going to see here, we're going to look at the life of Philip. There's three different instances in chapter 8 where he's uninhibited in sharing his faith. 
And if you're like me, you may confuse this Philip with the Philip that we see in the Gospels, one of the apostles of Jesus who, who, is, who is right alongside of Jesus uh, the whole way through his ministry. Um, but it's not the case. This is Philip the evangelist as opposed to Philip the apostle. And we're first introduced to Philip in Acts chapter 6. And it, it's, it, we see him. Uh, there was a problem that came up in Jerusalem. There were some people that were needed to wait on tables and, and take care of distributing food to those in need. And the, the people of the church went to the apostles. The apostle says, listen, we, we need you to pick seven men. Seven men that can, are worthy to do this task, who will do this task. And we can see that in Acts 6, 3 and verses 5 and 6. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom, who we will appoint to this duty. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmians, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostle the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on him. And so here there's a situation in Jerusalem where some, some volunteers were needed. The apostles said, hey, pick out seven guys to do this. Make sure that they're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And Philip, the evangelist, was one of these guys. And when the Bible says that Philip was full of the Holy Spirit, it means that he was willing to surrender every part of his being to the leading and control of the Holy Spirit. Willing to surrender every part of his being to the leading and control of the Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean that he was sinless. This doesn't mean that, that he was perfect. But it means that he recognized his dependency on the Holy Spirit. He recognized that the Holy Spirit is this unfathomable power that is available to us. He recognized that if he was going to be successful in filling that mission of being a, a witness, an ambassador for Jesus, that he needed to rely on the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that he starts in this ministry in just in a, in a role of just serving. Just one of, you know, as we're full of the Holy Spirit, maybe that first leading or those leadings are going to be just, just serve, just do something to help other people. So that's how his ministry started full of the Holy Spirit, waiting on tables, distributing food to those in need. But then things sort of got shaken up a little bit in Jerusalem. We see in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women, women and committed them to prison. So there was, this, there was this church that's being born in Jerusalem. Uh, things are going fairly well. They're, they're, they're waiting on the poor. They're preaching the gospel. And then Saul uh, begins to just launched this amazing persecution, this hatred against Christians, of hatred against those that follow Jesus, arresting them, handing them over to be tortured and, and killed. And so a lot of people in that time had to leave Jerusalem. As followers of Jesus Christ, they, they had to flee for their lives. And Philip was one of these people. He leaves Jerusalem, ends up in Samaria, and I appreciate how simply verse 5 defines his actions. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. <laughs> Talk about uninhibited. He had just had to flee for his life for believing in Jesus. And yet, as soon as he shows up in Samaria, the first thing that he does is to begin to proclaim the gospel. The word proclaimed in this verse means to announce publicly, proclaim with the goal of persuading, urge, to warn, to comply. Basically, Philip didn't hold back. He was uninhibited about sharing his faith in Jesus and what Jesus had done for him. And I was thinking about this being uninhibited, and I, I just couldn't help but think about Buddy the Elf in that Christmas movie, Elf. 
After his date with Jovi, he bursts into his father's conference room right in the middle of a very important meeting, and he says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. And I think we as Christians, and I think Philip in this passage here in Acts chapter 8, he would have been one of those people walking through the streets of Samaria saying, I believe, I believe, and I don't care who knows it. He was uninhibited. He just wanted to share. It was so important to him. It was so vital that other people knew. He just, just told everybody, as, as, as many people as he possibly can. Acts chapter 8, verses 6 to 12 says, And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Here's this, this incredibly effective ministry. Philip just uninhibitedly shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people hear what he says. They see what he's doing. And they, they in droves, begin to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Luke even includes an encounter with, with a sorcerer named Simon. And this guy, Simon, had been practicing uh, magic in, in Samaria and impressing people. Uh, the scriptures say that he was impressing people with his magic. And, and this isn't like the Shin Lin, America's got talent, illusion kind of thing. This is the dark uh, side of magic, he, the, the, the demonic side of magic. And he was using his magic to really make people think that he was important and probably to control them just a little bit. And so he was there and he's listening to Philip uh, preach the gospel. He's watching Philip and the power of the Holy Spirit in, in, in power over demons, power over sickness. And it said, Luke says that he believed because he recognized that the power that he was messing around with was nothing compared to the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see a little bit later on in the chapter that, that, that he gets a little bit off track. Um, Acts 8, 13, though, says, Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. He placed his faith and trust in Christ. And then a little bit later on, you see that he gets off track. You can read that uh, later on in the passage. And I mean, so Philip is here, and he's just, he's just knocking it out of the park. If, he were to, if we were to evaluate his ministry today, we would be like, ooh, one of the top 10 churches in the world, growth and people being converted to Jesus Christ and, and all of these things. He was probably one of the model ministries. People would be like, wow, Philip's just doing this crazy thing. And then this crazy thing happens. An angel appears to Philip. And he says, Philip, you need to take a hike. Literally. You need to leave Samaria. And, 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 and he says, I, I want you to go, and, and the Lord has a mission for you on this road between Jerusalem and, and Gaza. And, and I thought, like, in, when I read this story for, for many years, I thought, well, that must have not been a long hike. You know, he must just just somewhere on the outskirts of Samaria and off by himself and has this crazy encounter that we'll see in a second. Man, I was wrong. See, what, what, what God did and where God sent Philip was he sent him out of Samaria, which is about 102 kilometers north of Jerusalem, he sends him back down through Jerusalem to the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. So this, this, this mission that God had took him far away from where, from where he was killing it. Like, he, and he just said, the, the Holy Spirit says, good, I'm, I'm done with you here. I want you to go somewhere else. And so Philip doesn't even hesitate. He just, he just goes. 
And, and he, he's walking down. He walks down right back down through Jerusalem where he had just had to flee because of the, the threat to his life. Walks back down through there. And then he's walking this desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza, which in itself is about 100 kilometers long. And that was the instructions he had. Go, take a hike. What would you do in that situation? Like, God, I mean, like, people are coming to know Christ like crazy here. Why do you want me to leave? And, and just to walk on a deserted road all by myself? Like, I'd be throwing down the excuses pretty quick, you know, telling God that for some reason in his omniscience, he, he messed something up. Like, you're all knowing, but you're wrong here, right? Don't we do that a lot with God? I know you're all knowing, but I'm pretty sure I know a little bit better than you. And that's what I would have been doing. I've been saying, God, why? But Philip just doesn't hesitate. He, he obeys. And he, he leaves, he does that journey down, and he's walking along this road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And then he sees um, this, this man coming along the road. And Acts uh, 8, 27, 29 says, And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. What a crazy story. Philip going on this journey, just go, just go walk down this road. And then sees this man coming towards him and the Holy Spirit says, yep, that's the one. Go talk to him. I was trying to think of a, a modern day equivalent of, of what was happening. And the, the best I could think of is you're walking through a parking lot. And you know how people are sitting in their cars, oftentimes you can hear what they're listening to, you know, uh, and, and you just hear this Christian podcast playing. And as you're, you're just kind of walking there, you hear this Christian podcast, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, go tap on the window, see if they understand. I'm thinking the only person in this room today that do that would be Jana, all right? I, I can see her pulling that off, right? But really, just go, tap on the window, see if they understand. And, and then walking over and tap, tap, tap. Excuse me, do you, do you understand what you're listening to? No, I, I don't have any idea. Well, can I sit with you and tell you? Like, talk about uninhibited. There are so many reasons I wouldn't want to do that. But yet, this is what Philip did. Go, approach this chariot. And as he, he approaches, he, he hears what he's reading. He says, do you understand? And the man says, no. And then Philip has this amazing opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Acts 8, 32 to 35 says, now the passage of scripture that the man was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip, op Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. What an amazing encounter. This man says, who am I reading about? And Philip says, let me tell you. 
Let me tell you, this scripture is about the Messiah. This, this scripture is about, the G, about Jesus, the one who was recently killed in Jerusalem and rose again three days later. And Philip took that passage of scripture and then directed the man right to Jesus Christ, told him of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And during that conversation, the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch understood the gospel. And he says to Philip in, in verses 36 to 38, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Just think about that. Do you think that played out the way Philip imagined being in Samaria, preaching the gospel to many people, many people getting saved, even a sorcerer getting saved. And the Holy Spirit saying, okay, different job. Just go walk along the road all by yourself. And he has the privilege of leading this man to Christ who would have taken the gospel back to his homeland and shared the gospel there. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do when we are uninhibited, when we just trust him, when we just listen to him and follow his leading. And again, this crazy story again uh, continues on in verses 39 and 40. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, Philip found himself at, his, at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So there's some debate uh, among commentators as to what happened in verse 39. Uh, some believe that the Holy Spirit just kind of guided Philip and he just walked along and ended up in Azotus. Other, other people would teach that and believe that um, he was teleported or sort of flown through the air to his next destination. Um, I kind of hope it was the second because I think that'd be really amazing. You know, I'm not sure how Philip actually got to Azotus. But the point is when he got there, we see that he did what an uninhibited person did, preached the gospel in Azotus, and then the next town that he went to, he preached the gospel. The next town that he went to, he preached the gospel. And finally, he ended up in Caesarea, and he preached the gospel there, and you can see in Acts chapter 19, 20 years later, he's preaching the gospel, and he has, I think it's three daughters who are also preaching the gospel in that town and serving and, and, and leading people to Jesus Christ. So that's the story of Philip. Three different times, just uninhibitedly, just sharing his faith. But where does that land for us? What is it that we get to take away from, from this passage this morning? And I think there are five different things that I want you to see, things that we need to remember if we're going to live an uninhibited life. And the first thing that we need to remember is just simply, I need to remember to rely on the Holy Spirit. I need to remember to lie on the Holy Spirit. And this is what, what Philip does the whole time, right from the very beginning of his ministry. He was full of the Holy Spirit, willing to wait on tables, willing to serve food. And that was the opportunity the Holy Spirit brought him. That's what he did. And then he's driven out of Jerusalem, taken to Samaria, and then it's preached the gospel there. And then it's go off by yourself and lead a guy to Christ. And then it's preaching gospel in town to town to town. And you think back to that time in Samaria, just as he's leading and he's, he's witnessing and he sees this, this sorcerer come to know Christ as personal Lord and Savior. When I was reading that account, uh, I thought back of a, of a story from David Platt in his book, Radical. Um, I don't know if you've read this book. It's a, it's a good read, very challenging. 
Um, but he talks about the fact that he was in Indonesia and he was speaking at a graduation or he's attending a graduation at, at a Bible school there. And in order for uh, somebody to graduate from this particular school, they had to have planted a church and to have led at least 30 people uh, to the Lord in a, in a heav- heavily Muslim area. And David Platt tells a story about a young man named Raiden. And he says this, it was a privilege getting to know the students and listening to their stories. One brother, Raiden, shared his testimony. With a fiery look in his eyes and an intense tone in his voice, he said, before I became a Christian, I was a fighter. I learned ninja, jujitsu, and a variety of other take techniques for, for taking people down. He said, one day I was sharing the gospel in an unreached village with people who had never heard of Jesus. I was un- in one house sharing Christ with a family, and the witch doctor from the village came to the house. Witch doctors and magic men are common in villages like these. They hold sway over entire communities with their curses and incantations. The witch doctor called me out, Raiden said. He wanted me to fight him. Raiden smiled as he confessed. My first thought was to walk out there and take the witch doctor down. But when I turned to go outside, the Lord told me that I no longer needed to do the fighting. God would do the fighting for me. So Raiden walked outside, pulled up a chair, and sat down in front of the witch doctor. He told his challenger, I don't do the fighting. My God does the fighting for me. Raiden recounted what happened next. As the witch doctor attempted to speak, he began to gasp for air. He was choking and couldn't breathe. People came running to see what was wrong, and within a few minutes, the witch doctor had fallen over dead. By now, the entire village had crowded around the scene. Raiden said, I have never seen anything like this. I didn't know what to do, but then I thought, I guess this is a good time to preach the gospel. Raiden smiled and said, so that's what I did. And many people in the village trusted Christ for the first time that day. No, I'm not saying that as we uh, rely on the Holy Spirit and somebody maybe doesn't listen to our message that we go all Darth Vader on them and you know, try to choke them out or, or whatever. Uh, that's not exactly the, the moral of this story. But the moral of the story is God is so powerful. The Holy Spirit is so powerful. And he lives in us as believers in Jesus Christ. And when he asks us to do something, he will enable us and empower us to do it. But our responsibility is to yield to him, to trust him, and to let his power work through us. That's point number one. I need to remember to rely on the Holy Spirit. Point number two, I need to remember that it won't be easy, always be easy, or well-received. I think we kind of deceive ourselves into thinking, oh, if I'm doing what the Holy Spirit wants, it's just going to be smooth sailing. I think all of us would agree that that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was fairly successful in his ministry. He planted churches, wrote a lot of the New Testament, led a lot of people to Christ, uh, raised young men up into ministry. He was was very successful in what he did. He followed the Holy Spirit. He was uninhibited in his faith. But listen to 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 27. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." Paul was uninhibited in sharing his faith. 
but it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always well received. And so I want to encourage you today as you seek to live an uninhibited life and you go and you share the faith with somebody at, at work, you share your faith with somebody you know, in your family, you share your faith with a neighbor. And if they don't receive it or maybe even they distance themselves from you or they ridicule you, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't working. It doesn't mean that you failed. It means you are obedient to the Holy Spirit. You did exactly what he enabled you to do. And the response of people is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to trust the Holy Spirit and to do exactly what he asks us to do and leave the results with him and understand that sometimes, you know, it may cost us to be uncomfortable. It may cost us uh, suffering at some point. But we still need to do it because we trust him and we trust his plan. Number three, and I need to remember that God can use any situation to make himself known. God will use any situation to make himself known. Philip's ministry in Samaria started because he's, his life was threatened. He had to flee Jerusalem, ends up in Samaria, and he begins to preach the gospel. And folks, we need to understand that, that whatever situation God brings our way is an opportunity to bring glory to him. I have been humbled uh, in the past few months, watching people that I know, people that are close to me, going through intense suffering and yet being able to just testify how good God has been. And folks, what a powerful means of sharing the gospel, that when things are falling apart, when things are as the hardest maybe they've ever been, that you can proclaim God's goodness and be a testimony to people around you. So we need to remember that every situation can be used for God. And then I need to remember that God can redirect me. Again, Philip had an amazing ministry going on. We would have thought there would be no reason for him to leave. And yet God says, no, I've got a different plan for you. I think sometimes we can get locked into our way of doing things, our method of doing things, our routine. And, and, and the danger of routine is, is we get comfortable at it. We get comfortable and, and soon we begin to do our ministry, our acts of service without really even begging the Lord for the strength or the wisdom to do it. We just know how to do it. So we get into a rut, into a routine. And we need to understand that if I'm going to be inhibited, I need to step out of the rut. I need to step out of the place of comfort and say, God, where do you have me? Do you want me to keep going where I am or do you want me to switch it up? Again, everybody would have counseled Philip, don't leave. Things are going really well but the Holy Spirit had other, other plans. And so we need to be willing within our hearts to listen to the Holy Spirit, even if things are going really well, even if they're going really good, and listen to him and say, are you redirecting me? And if so, I'm willing to follow you. Fifth thing that we need to remember is that we need to keep it simple. I just want to look at three passages from Acts chapter eight real quick. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures, this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. But Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all towns until he came to Caesarea. Look how simple Philip kept it. Proclaimed to them the Christ, told them the good news about Jesus and preached the gospel. Folks, I think sometimes we overcomplicate things. We make things way too difficult. We think, man, I, I have to have a degree in, in whatever to be, able to, even, to be able to open my mouth. And we forget how powerful 
the gospel of Jesus Christ is. This was driven home to me um, my first, second year of university. I had just come back to Christ and I was trying to live for him. And a friend of mine had some questions about Christianity. And I went over to his house one day and just took a couple Bibles and he began to ask me questions about everything, really. Life, faith, all of those things. And as amazing as the Holy Spirit just brought verse after verse after verse to my mind, what, he would ask me a question, I'd look up a verse, I'd hand him a Bible, and then be, I'd be looking at another, you know, trying to find another verse to, to back up that point or whatever. And it came to the point where um, he asked me something, and, and the most logical verse to go to was John 3.16. And I'd grown up in a Christian home, gone to Christian school, been to church pretty much, you know, it seemed like every Sunday of my life, you know, and I knew John 3.16, I could say that forwards and backwards, for God's love the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I knew that and handed, handed the guy the Bible. He begins to read that verse and I'm flipping through the scriptures trying to find another verse and from this side of the room, I hear this, wow. And I'll be honest, I did a double take. I'm like, what's he reading? You know, like what, what? I know that, but the simplicity of the gospel is so powerful that at 19, 20 years old, a guy reading John 3, 16 for the very first time just goes, wow. And folks, we gotta remember that and we gotta rely on that and we gotta remember that the power is in the word, the power is in what Jesus has accomplished, the power is in the Holy Spirit, not in our wise talk, not in our logical arguments, but in the power of the gospel. And we need to remember if we are going to be uninhibited, we just need to keep it simple. Preach Jesus. That is powerful. So today, as we close, can't close without asking the question, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you asked him to, to forgive your sins, to, to restore your relationship with God? and to give you that promise of eternal life in heaven and a, and a friendship with him, an eternal relationship with him here on earth. If you've not done that, that is the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. So today, if that's you, I would just encourage you, call out to Jesus and to say, I know that my sin has separated me from you. I know that you have died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I ask that you forgive me and be my savior. Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've done that today, let somebody know. Let somebody know so that we can help you grow in your faith. If you're watching online, just shoot us a message and just say, hey, I have done that today. And we'd love to, love to encourage you in your new walk with Jesus Christ. But today, there's many people in this room who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. And we've been given the tremendous privilege and responsibility of being uninhibited in sharing our faith. And so I would encourage you today in this way, it's just simply, if the Holy Spirit leads, put away your self-sufficiency, put away your excuses, and say, okay, God, this scares the bejeepers out of me, but I'm gonna trust you because you are the source of power. And we need to trust him. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray that you would just help us to remember the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, that you would just remember the potential that we have if we submit to him. Lord, I just wanna pray that we would not let our inhibitions win the day, that we would not let our fears overcome 
I'll overcome your leading, dear God. So Lord, I just want to pray that we would be bold for you, that when you tell us to speak, that we would speak, when you tell us to go, that we would go. And Lord, that we would trust you with whatever the results are, but we will know that we did what you asked us to do. I just want to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great morning. Enjoy the plus three temperature. God bless. 